a focused summary of Part 2, Chapters 17 and 18 of Silas Marner. In the sixteen years that elapsed, a great change had come over the Red House, owing to the new presiding spirit it had found in Nancy Lameter. All had become lavender and rose-scented purity and order. Nancy was trying to persuade her father and sister to stay for tea, but he deferred to the judgment of Priscilla, who, he said, managed him and the farm too. Priscilla declined, saying she couldn't leave the newly engaged and thus easily distracted dairymaid unsupervised, but she agreed to a walk around the garden while the horses were being harnessed. As they walked, Priscilla told Nancy how delighted she was that Godfrey had acquired a dairy farm, so that Nancy might have something more than rubbing furniture to fill her mind. Pressing her sister's hand, she told her that with a dairy farm to care for, she'd never be low. Nancy assured Priscilla that she was content with her blessings, but that it was what Godfrey was left wanting that made her low. Priscilla grumbled about men never being easy with what they've got, and about how Nancy would have been better off if she had been ugly like Priscilla and kept to her own family. But Nancy scolded her that no one could find fault with Godfrey, and that it was only natural he should be disappointed at not having any children. Seeing the gig ready and waiting at the door, Priscilla said it was time she headed back to the Warrens with her father. After they left, Godfrey too went out for his customary Sunday afternoon contemplative farming and leisurely walk, during which Nancy was left home alone. Nancy habitually spent that time sitting with a Bible open on her lap, trying in vain to follow the text on the page as her thoughts inevitably wandered. They wandered over all her past feelings and actions with a self-questioning scrutiny and a spirit of rectitude. Her recurring thought was, always, I can do so little. Have I done it all well? Such, perhaps, is the lot of the noble and childless woman with no demands to divert her attention from vain regret. On this day, the conversation with Priscilla had revived the thought that pained Nancy the most. Her perception that the absence of children from their hearth was a privation to which Godfrey could never reconcile himself. But she refused to blame her husband for complaining. She bore her own suffering, however, without a murmur. Even to gaze upon the handmade clothes, unworn and untouched, would in her mind be to indulge in sinful regret. She tried to see everything as Godfrey saw it, which involved questioning herself continually about whether she had been wrong to resist her husband's wish that they adopt a child. But Nancy had her own opinion about the matter, and her opinions, once formed, became principles that formed a code to be unwaveringly acted upon. Nancy's code dictated that to adopt a child would be to deny the will of God, and the child would therefore never turn out well. If a thing was not meant to be, it was a duty to leave off wishing for it. When Godfrey presented the counterexample of the weaver and Eppie, the prettiest little girl in the parish, Nancy responded, with yearnful affection in her eyes, that he had not sought her out. She had come to him. From the first, Godfrey had suggested Eppie as the child they might adopt, never conceiving of the possibility that Silas might sooner part with his life than with her. 
he made the mistake of many a man of higher station, of believing that deep affections can hardly go along with callous palms. Having recalled all their scenes of discussion, Nancy said to herself again that she was right to refuse. She reflected, too, on how good Godfrey had been to her, despite her standing against his wishes. She consoled herself that had he married another woman capable of giving him children, she might have vexed him in other ways. Nancy had always labored to be the perfect wife in every respect but this one over which she had no control. It was Godfrey's awe of his gentle wife which, along with his own irresolute nature, prevented him from ever confessing the truth about Eppie. Nancy would never recover, the child would become a source of repulsion, and it might create an irreparable breach between them. Meanwhile, perhaps because dissatisfaction always seeks a definite object, Godfrey's thoughts always turned uneasily to the empty hearth, and he could never make up his mind to the absence of children. Perhaps, too, his uneasy conscience gave his childless home the aspect of a retribution. As she sat wondering whether Godfrey might mind their lot less as he got older, Nancy was roused from her reverie by the entrance of a servant, who informed her that people were making haste past the window, and that clearly something had happened. Nancy assured her that it was probably nothing more than Mr. Snell's escaped bull, but she felt uneasy. She stood watching for Godfrey from a window, and the glowing autumn colors over the placid churchyard only made her vague fear more distinct with their contrast. She wished Godfrey would come in. The door opened, and feeling that it was Godfrey, Nancy turned to him with relief, until she saw that he stood with pale face and trembling hands. He told her to sit down, and warned her that he had had a great shock, but, he said, what he cared most about was the shock it would be to her. The stone pit had suddenly gone dry, and there, wedged between two stones, lay Dunstan, had lain for sixteen years. Nancy, thinking Dunstan had drowned himself, almost wondered that her husband should be so deeply shaken by what happened so many years ago to an unloved brother, until, after a pause, Godfrey added that it was Dunstan who robbed Silas Marner. Along with his body, they had found the gold— at that, her face flushed with shame over the kinship with crime. Nancy would have offered some words of comfort, but she sensed there was more to come. Godfrey had resolved that this was the time of confession, and lifting his eyes to her face, he told her that the wretched woman found in the snow was his wife, and that Eppie was his child. Nancy's eyes dropped, and she sat still, clasping her hands on her lap. With a tremor in his voice, Godfrey spoke of how she would never see him the same again, how he ought to have told her, how he ought not to have left the child unowned, and how he suffered. At last she lifted her eyes to him and said, with deep regret, that if he had but told her, then they might have done their duty by the child, together. And in that moment, Godfrey felt all the bitterness of an error that had defeated its own end. As her tears fell, Nancy spoke of how they might have taken her in from the first, and how she might have loved Nancy as a mother. 
trying to persuade himself that his conduct had not been utter folly. Godfrey insisted that Nancy would never have married him, had she known then. Nancy admitted she did not know what she would have done, but she insisted that she was not worth doing wrong for, that nothing is in this world. Godfrey asked if she could ever forgive him, and Nancy replied that it was not she he had done the wrong to. Godfrey vowed he would own the child now, and Nancy, agreeing it was their duty to provide for her, prayed that the child could love her. They resolved to go together to Silas's that very night.